Hey, welcome to the Art Condition Podcast, a weekly show that will discuss the business, community, and often undiscussed stress and mental health concerns of being a professional artist or even a serious hobbyist. I'm Joby. I've been in the tattoo and illustration professions for 25 years. My co-host is Moose, a data analyst, social media manager, and art agent. If you enjoy the content, please consider visiting the Patreon page and the show notes to help support the effort. Or if that's not an option, please like, subscribe, leave a good review, or just share with your friends. And definitely go visit the links of our guests on this episode. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. This week, we're talking to Rangan, an artist who does a lot of work in the publishing industry. She's going to have a lot of really interesting things to say about how to find and start talking to art directors, a lot of the professionalism that's involved in that world. We're also going to talk about balancing personal work with professional work because Rangan has a pretty significant personal project going on with her Patreon called Nether Realms. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're also going to get into a little bit about time management because when you're balancing a lot of things like this, that can be a real tricky thing. And it's a subject that we talk a lot about on this podcast. And honestly, probably can't talk enough about. We also take a small amount of time to discuss some of the mental health effects of social media, how its usefulness can quickly become a burden, and what we can do about that. We end on a high note. I hope that you enjoy. So without further ado, here's our interview. Rangan, how close did I get that time? Super close. Okay, super, super duper close, like on point. For my clumsy California raised American tongue, I feel super proud of that. How are you? Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for taking some time. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we're we're going to talk a lot about um really cool stuff, but I of course want to start with you. And so if you could bring us up to speed a little bit, um a brief cover of your personal history and how you got into art and where you're at today. So I'm Ringen and I'm a Dutch fantasy and YA illustrator. Um, I currently do uh, book covers and promotional art for like uh, games and well, publishing and uh, anyone who might need my work. Um, clients so far have included uh, Tor Books, Monica Games and uh, V.E. Schwab. Um, how I got into art, it was basically always there. Um, I'm one of those people, you know, um, and I wasn't really ever like discouraged from pursuing it as a job, I think. Um, you know, I had a point where I wanted to be like an architect or a veterinarian or whatever, <laughs> but eventually I did decide to, to go for, uh, to go for art. There's no money in that um, shit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the thing, like, here in Holland, we have, uh, like, three kinds of high school systems uh, where you kind of, like, basically get split up, like, you're going to do, the, like, the really practical stuff or uh, a bit of a mix of practical and theory or theory, like, university, and you're going to become, like, a doctor or an architect or a mathematician or whatever, and I got sent to the theoretical uh, school, basically. Um, but then, you know, I ended up wanting to do art, so guess that happened 
Theor- um, theoretical school? Uh, I guess, yeah, but well, that, that's what I, I like to call it because, you know, they, they call it, you know, it's like, they, they call it like for the smarter people, but, you know, that's <laughs> stupid. Um, so it basically like if you if you do like the four year school, then you become like a builder, a, hard, a hairdresser, uh, or you work your way up uh, into a manager or whatever. Um, and then if you go to like the six year school, then you go to university and then you become a mathematician, uh, a business analyst, uh, architect, uh, medical school, that kind of stuff. So they is, split it up earlier here. So is uh, being an art in the art field looked down upon uh, culturally? Depends on who you are. <laughs> um, I would say, um, so I think the, the art culture here in Holland is very, um, they expect you to be very diverse. Um, so there are not a lot of specialist artists here. Um, a lot of people are like, they do their thing, um, but then they have, like like we talk about a lot, they have a lot of loves. Uh, so they like to do graphic design, they like to do illustration, they like to do kids books or whatever, and they do it all. Um, and that's kind of a, a, a cultural thing that I did um, struggle with because a lot of the advice that I got until like a year and a half ago was become more diverse, have a very diverse portfolio so everybody can hire you. Um, mm. And for me, I guess it felt kind of like dishonest. And I think that that's what people ref- uh, picked up on in my portfolio. Um, so once I started specializing, uh, things actually picked up a lot more, you know, and I'm doing a lot better. Um, but yeah, that's the culture here, um, which is fine, but it just, it doesn't work for me at all. And so in your specialization, like how, what do you consider your like, you know, fantasy obviously, but do you consider that to be sort of like your specialty interest or is it, you know, fantasy art within the pub the publishing industry or like how do you how do you see that um i would see it more as a genre so for me it would be i call it urban fantasy so like um um kind of like realism mixed with a certain element of fantasy so um i always naturally gravitated towards like harry potter uh, narnia um what else um uh, the Golden Compass, mm-hmm. um, all those kinds of books that have like a, a basis of uh, reality, but they have a magical element um, mm-hmm. uh, added to it. And I always, you know, um, I have drawn like the elves and the like the high fantasy Tolkien stuff, um, but I think I'll stick with urban fantasy. So I think that's my specialist thing. And but the you know, um, if you ask someone else they would probably say fantasy illustration is already a specialty. But I think the interesting thing is the further you look into a genre, the more niches there are. Right. Yes. So within fantasy, there's going to be like urban fantasy or like a romance fantasy or epic fantasy or 
you know, all those kinds of things. And then within those things, there's going to be people who, within epic <laughs> fantasy, there's going to be people who draw landscapes, but there's also going to be people who draw characters. And there's also going to be people, be people who draw like elves and all the elegant, wistful stuff. And there's going to be uh, people who love to draw the orcs and that kind of stuff. So it goes on and on and on. Yeah, it can get exhausting too, where you're like, well, what 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 do I like to do? What do I what do I want to do most? I want to do everything. Um I like the that concept of urban fantasy. Is that your term or is that is that a term that um is like a you know more of an industry standard or um I've never heard it before it until is... you mentioned it. Really? Um, well, it's um, it's it's um, it's a term I have been searching for. Let me put it like that, because uh-huh. um, um, I when I started specializing like a year and a half ago, I needed something to describe myself with, you know. Um, so I, you know, I was like, OK, I like these books. What is the thing? Um, and on Wikipedia, um, urban fantasy is like Harry Potter or like this one really famous Neil Gaiman book that I forget. Um, Sandman? American I so. Gods? I, no, I think it was American Gods. Oh. Um, and those are examples, you know, and I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's my genre. But then, okay. so the interesting thing was I, I posted a poll uh, because I talked to Lauren Panapinto, uh, who is an art director or a creative director, I think, even at uh, Orbit Books. Um, and she was like, in, in a blog post that she wrote, I need to say this, right? In a blog post that she wrote, she said it's more like a romance category, hmm. genre. And I got really confused. Like, what? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I immediately so I started thinking about Fabio and, uh, you know, like the big muscly yeah, hunky dudes. Right? Exactly. Um, but, um, and so I did a, uh, I mean, there's a, so one, one point is I wanted to make is I did a poll in like a Facebook group with all the authors and like a hundred percent went for like realism with fantasy elements and not romance. And I was like, okay, so there's apparently a different definition within self-publishing authors and publishing art directors mm-hmm. maybe. But then I talked to Lauren because I asked her like, listen, I'm getting really confused. Can you explain to me, please? <laughs> What, what do you mean with this? And she, so she explained to me that actually um, the uh, urban fantasy genre uh, has a lot of crossover with the romance genre because it attracts a lot of female readers. So, mm-hmm. so women who want to who read fantasy, they don't usually read epic fantasy, but they read urban fantasy. And that means that you use a lot, of, a lot more romance genre checkpoints on your covers to attract those readers interesting we're gonna we're gonna get into that idea of like checkpoints and stuff a little later on i think but let's let's dig into your history with um the publishing industry because this is this is fascinating i think you're the only artist that i know really that like i know that that's not just what you do (laughs) but you've done a fair amount of it especially compared to like almost anybody else that 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 i really know in terms of like you could say well i've done illustrations for tor and the like well the the 12 year old sci-fi fantasy nerd inside of me is just like oh my god tell me more so (laughs) um you know how did you 
start looking into cracking that shell and finding your way into that. Um, that story starts kind of a year and a half ago. Um, I was working for uh, a creative marketing department in, in company. Um, but then I decided like, okay, I want to become a freelancer. The diverse thing is not happening. So I did um, a, a course at Oatly Academy. Do you guys know Chris Oatly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, he's like an art mentor person. Um, and I, I did his course called Dream Machine, which mm-hmm. is basically, um, I would say, branding for artists. Um, and um, I did that course. And so he was, I think he was the first person that said to me, you should specialize mm-hmm. and like find your, find your specialization. Um, and it doesn't have to be your final decision. Like if you choose this, you do not have to be this forever. But mm-hmm. choose it, focus on it now, and become successful in that. What is it going to be? Um, and so I wanted to be an illustrator when I was 16. And then I let it go because I thought there was no money in it. You know, because I did think um, earning a living was very important. So I started studying game art. Um, so that was the moment that I went back to it and thought, no, this is really like, I don't, I don't want to be a viz dev artist for movies. I really, really, really want to be an illustrator, especially for books, because I used to read so many books when I was a kid, like I was a real bookworm. Um, so, um, during the course, so during the course, I found that, um, Lauren Panapinto was one of the guest lecturers. And that was like that talk that she did was like a gold mine of information for me to start out looking you know it was it was kind of like the the basic information i guess but it was also like my starting point for you know developing all of this and like developing my new portfolio throwing every almost everything out and starting you know with all these new portfolio pieces um so if for other people if they want to get into publishing uh, but they don't have the money to do like a whole course because it was expensive, um, at least for me. Um, I would say um, read as much as you can of the Dear Art Director Tumblr. Um, there's a Tumblr called dearad.tumblr.com, I think, off the top of my head. And um, there are anonymous art directors, and they give you know, all kinds of insights to questions that people have. Um, It's really candid because they're anonymous um, and it gives a lot of insight into what makes them tick, what they like to see, what they don't like to see, at what point you're overthinking it, because that's what happens a lot as well. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And there's just a lot of basic information in there that will set you up to ask the more insightful questions that will grab your art director's attention. If you get what I mean. Yeah. So forgive me a very basic question. Um, <laughs> this is for the, this is for the, this is for the sake of the just in case. Yeah. What is an art director and why are they important? Uh, what role do they play in specifically the publishing industry since that's sort of, you know, what we're focusing on at the moment. So, okay. I'll, like narrow it down. So in general, art directors make sure that um, a brand stays cohesive. 
Um, so for like uh, whole, for whole, it means different things for different industries. Um, but for publishing, uh, they make sure that you take your genre checkpoints because um, every uh, genre has different uh, elements that they like to see on a cover, which draws the right readers in. Um, they are your coach, basically, um, as well as your client, because they are the ones that pitch your work to the rest of the company, if it's a big enough company. Because, you know, if it's a smaller company, then you might be dealing only with them and they're going to make the final call. And that makes things easier, I guess. Um, but if it's a bigger company like Orbit or Tor, uh, they're going to be in meetings with their editors, uh, marketeers, whatever, uh, and they're going to be showing your work to them. Um, and they're going to be defending your work or gathering that feedback and giving it back to you. Um, so be their friend. <laughs> it makes your life a lot easier. <laughs> Yeah, the last person that you want to be jerky or unprofessional with is an art director. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. And for good and for good reason, art director emails are not easy to find. But can you talk a little bit about why, like explicitly why that is and how you would appropriately go about trying to find their contact information? So um, people tend to spam lists. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of, uh, a lot of art directors, not all of them, but a lot of them work in specialized areas. Um, so for example, if you are emailing an art director at, uh, Tor, you don't want to send them kids books stuff because they're not interested. You know, it's a whole different genre. And what happens when art directors let themselves be published in a list like that, they get spammed by everyone who just copies the whole list. Put it puts it in a mass email and then sends it out. And I think what people need to realize is that, especially at the bigger companies, they get like a hundred emails from artists a day. Um, so day. imagine, you know, even if it's thirty, imagine having to go go through all of those every day, um, and then like fifty percent of those is not what you're looking for at all. Um, actually, you said fifty percent or not. Excuse me? No, never mind. Never mind. Continue. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I was I was gonna say like that's that's like thirty to hundred now. Imagine if they if their emails were public in a list. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Um then you know they uh they would be getting even more of them and a lot of them would be lower quality in terms of matchmaking. Um so yeah, it, it, it basically it makes more sense for them to be harder to find because then they know that the people that do find them really want it. Um, as for finding them, mm -hmm. um, there are there is one list that's kind of still floating around. If you look really hard, um, that's <laughs> how I that's how I started my list. Um, but it's also a matter of. Um, swapping with friends so i've had two people so far and i gave them my list and they gave me theirs um so i could like kind of compare and i still go through their list like um which client suits me and which one doesn't um and then i copy those over to my own ones um if you <laughs> i was gonna say if you don't have friends if you don't have friends in publishing yet <laughs> <laughs> hey what, what are you trying to say i don't 
nothing, nothing. <laughs> um, if you if you don't have people that you can ask that yet, because you know, if you go around asking everyone like, hey, can I have your list? Can I have your list? They're probably not going to give it to you because you know that's the same as like putting a public list everywhere, um, and you don't know what's going to happen with that list. You know, so you want to know what somebody's going to do with it, and that you can trust them with it. Um, so um, you can go to bookstores. You can like look at the um, um, at the what's it called, colophon, um, like the credits. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, like who's credited. Mm-hmm. Um, see, like look and look. Uh, go to the books if you really have to like start from like I have no idea. Uh, what publishers to to go to or whatever go to a bookstore pick up some books you like um look who published it you know go to your website or go to google type in tor.com art director um there are going to be some hits that come up um and then you if you have one email you can usually formula guess the rest so you know if you've worked in a company at some point you probably know that it's always thing in dot to bear dot, uh, at company mm, name.com, you okay. know, and it's going to be the same for every uh, mm-hmm. colleague. Okay. Usually. Uh, so once you have one, you can usually formally guess the rest. Um, yeah, I guess those are some ways uh, that you can get some emails. What else? What else? What else? Uh, yeah, company. Oh, yeah. And I was going to say, like, sometimes it's um, just a matter of, like, keeping your eyes open. Um, sometimes it just takes time because, you know, we're in this day and age, we're kind of used to, like, typing in uh, email, art director, what publisher or whatever, and then getting those instant results. But sometimes it's just a matter of, like, um, seeing something come by and you're like, oh, I can use that. So an example is um, I've been following this uh, uh, the, the author Garth Nix for mm-hmm. years because I'm a huge fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw that his Abhorson books were being republished uh, by Hotkey Books. And I had no idea that this publisher existed. Um, but because I saw it come by on Facebook, I was like, oh, that's another publisher that I would love to work with because they publish Abhorsen, so they do the genre that I want to work with in. Uh, so I'm gonna, you know, write those down in my, uh, write them down in my list, and then see if I can, you know, formula guess an email or whatever, find an art director that works there, and then send them an email. What um, would such an email look like? Just a cold call that you're sending out into the blue. So um, when you're writing those emails, I think um, you want to keep in mind what you would want to read if you were the art director. So, you know, uh, you get up Monday morning, you've had your coffee, tea, whatever. You open your inbox and there's like 50 emails there. What do you want to see? It's not going to be an email that's this long because you have 3,200 to get go through. Um, so I would say keep it short and sweet, keep it polite. Um, I think it's better to be too polite, but be confident. Um, I think I can say that to a lot of artists. So, oh my God, I'm my... so sorry to bother you. I, if you can't read this, I totally understand. Please don't write back <laughs> exactly. if you. <laughs> Nobody wants to. Don't read do that. that. Uh, nah. Oh. Nah. Hold on. I have a. I have a draft. So. Uh, oh. <laughs> Wait. Is this an example of how not to do it? I. These are my favorite. No. This. Is, 
No, of course not, because this is my example. Because okay, uh, so, <laughs> so it is how at least that's how I do it. So um, I basically say my name is Rengen, and I'm a fantasy and YA illustrator from the Netherlands. Um, my strengths are impa- my strengths are impactful storytelling with vibrant colors, clear communication, and hitting my deadlines. I've done projects for Torobox, Monica Games, and VE Schwab, and I would love to work with you. Um, sometimes, if I know the company, uh, like an if if I if I'm a fan of a particular project, I would I would make a remark about that project and how much I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a fan of the work at whatever, and I wanted to email you my work for your consideration. I've attached a few JPEGs uh, here that I think are most relevant to the work that you do. You can see more of my work at my website. Thank you so much for your time. If it's okay with you, I'd like to send you another update in a couple of months. Uh, sincerely, me. So it's pretty short, you know, it's like five sentences, mm-hmm. six, six sentences. Um, but it just tells a bit about who I am, what they can expect of me. Um, it, it, it shows them if I know their work or not. Um, and it's just like a bit of respectful, you know, like, please consider me for your work. Right. Uh, please consider hiring me. Um, and then, and also read uh, the guidelines on the website if they have guidelines. If they don't, um, it's probably okay to attach some files, but sometimes they have on their website like things like do not send samples more than once a year or mm. um, do not attach any, uh, any JPEGs or do, do not send any file attachments or we want them in PDF or um, send them send an update every half year or never send an update, you know? Um, so go to our website, um, see if they have some guidelines. If they don't, then this is kind of like the standard format that I use. Um, most of the time, you will not get a reply because as I said, they will, get, they will have loads of emails to get through um, and they won't have the time to reply <laughs> to everybody. Um, what else? Yeah, so um, that email, rinse and repeat every three months, basically. Because um, you want to stay, like, top of mind, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you send an email once a year, then you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that person from a year ago. <laughs> right. So uh, what I've noticed is a lot of people have a problem with uh, even sending a first email. Like, mm-hmm. they'll say, after this next illustration, I'll send in my portfolio. Mm. Rather than doing it periodically, they'll wait until they think they have the best chance, and then they'll uh, eventually send it. Then usually they never actually do send one. Yeah. So, was there anything that you give advice to people like that have such a similar problem, or just do it? Um, and the the the, <laughs> <laughs> the reason I'm saying that is also I'll I'll give you a reason to is because um, art directors also like seeing your progress. Um, especially if they see you uh, progress, they might send you some feedback, um, which means that you're, uh, and if you get some feedback, that means that they see potential in you. Um, so, um, and if, you know, if you're, if you're making huge leaps, then that's also a signal to them. Like, Hey, um, we could maybe hire this person soon, you know? Um, plus it also builds rapport. Um, because, you know, on average, um, somebody needs like, I think three to seven moments of contact before they convert into a client. Um, 
that's the that's a like a consumer uh theory but it also goes for art directors like it goes for anyone who how how often have you instantly spent money at something that's the that was like the first time that you ever saw something um so if you send your if you just send that portfolio even if you you're not going to get you're not going to get judged for sending your portfolio too early if they are they're dicks and you don't want to work with them anyway but we shouldn't uh just to be clear we shouldn't uh use um additional points of contact as a reason to respond with uh follow up questions like why aren't you why aren't you responding mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> oh my yeah, god that's no. that's not an appropriate <laughs> uh point of contact it's, you know keep in mind that they're busy people um but they but they're also good people that love seeing artists thrive um so in that sense you know it's also it's the same with like us on social media you kind of like lurk on social media and then you like you don't always press like and you don't always retweet or you don't always whatever um but you know you still appreciate seeing those updates um and it's the same thing for art directors like they appreciate seeing those updates um but they are too low on time to respond to it um but it does build rapport want to ask one so, quick uh, let me ask one quick follow-up question before ahead. we get to daria's question sorry just while i'm thinking of it because you mentioned something about follow-ups um is, is there some content that you recommend for like what that follow-up looks like so it doesn't feel like you're being pushy as in well, well i towards... mean i would just go ahead um so uh, in terms of follow-up, I just, I just like email new samples. Um, I don't really like, unless they email me and ask me a question, I don't, I don't like follow up with the email. Um, I just like send one in January. Then I send another one in April. Like, hi, I emailed you before. Here are some new samples. This is I an see. update of my work. I I'm see. A student. Okay. I've been busy, whatever. Um, and then a uh, few months later, you do it again. I see. Okay. You're right. Right. So it's not like a specific, like, Hey, just checking in to see if you got my last email. It's it's almost like a a new thing. Uh, yeah, because mm-hmm. I I think if you're saying just checking in, it kind of um, signals that you're expecting a response, um, which you should probably know that they don't have time for unless you've already established a connection with them. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. Moose, were you going to read Daria's question? You can do it. You have a better voice than I do. <laughs> uh, so Daria Oxanova in the chat um, asked an interesting question. It's, a, it's an anecdote kind of followed by a question. Um, she says, I actually have a colleague, male. His art is below the quality that was requested by the companies. He just decided to find out the number and call them directly. Here's my surprise. He got the damn jobs. All of the ones he wanted. I'm still a bit shocked, especially seeing how it says no direct contact or we won't accept submissions uh, on all three of those. I assume that means on all three of the the contacts that that he called. Um, Maybe I'm just a bit jealous of the balls he had. He broke all the (laughs) rules and got the jobs. So I wonder how often you should just break the damn rules and say, fuck it. Push it till you get it. Mm, that's a tough one. Um, 
I think it depends on how big the publisher is. Um, it depends on how 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 charismatic you are. Because um, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to be so flustered. <laughs> I'm going to be totally awkward. I'm not going to get that job. <laughs> if he's like um, super charismatic and he can, you know, talk his way, you know, you know that. Um, those those that that like that trope where you become friends with the receptionist okay um it really helps like it <laughs> helps so much because they know where everything is and who the right people are um so if you can do that um sure um she's saying I, he, he I, is I would... not charismatic <laughs> oh and then i don't know how the hell he did it <laughs> maybe this you should ask be, him <laughs> yeah this might be a magic anomaly let's have him on the podcast i would really uh, this, this could be really interesting but it does that does exactly. that does connect me um to one of the questions that we did have for you where you 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 had mentioned um elsewhere some differences in how women approach this whole process compared to men yeah can you talk about that for a little bit what and do you have any specific advice to women in particular? Um, so uh, the, the the general thing, uh, the general culture in uh, the largest part of the world is uh, that women should be more passive, and men are praised when they are more uh, active and assertive. Right. Um, I feel, I mean, this is of course anecdotal, but I do feel when I get like really bold about things that I get called back quicker. Like, oh my gosh, you're being really sassy right now. You know, just cool it. Um, and so I think um, it's really ingrained with women to be like really uh, passive and um, not feel qualified to do things unless you're like a 300% sure you know, yourself. Um, so um, how I did it myself, and I know that's hard, but it, and it, it sounds really stupid, but I'm, I'm going to say, again, just do it. Um, and I, I think um, what I try to do is really think about my sphere of influence. Um, so I, if I, I worry about it, you know, I, I tend to worry about a lot of things. And nowadays I try to think like, is this within my sphere of influence? So for example, um, I'm worrying about if I'll get more jobs. Um, it's within my sphere of influence to talk to people if they have jobs, uh, to post on social media, to email art directors um, and ask like, hey, um, I have this art. Do you have any jobs that you'd like to give me? It's not within my sphere of influence to um, know if someone else is going to like me on the basis of their email address. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I can't know. Um, so uh, I'm just going to send the email. I'm not going to worry about something that I can't influence. Okay. Um, and that's basically how, how I try to look at it. Um, I, I do think, I just want to say to a lot of women, like, please be more confident. Um, it It is... I do think it's a societal thing, and I do think um, that a lot more women can be a lot more empowered about what they do. So, you have my endorsement. Please do it. <laughs> yeah. So not to not to turn this into, um, 
you know, life coaching for, for women though. I, but I do think that this is an important topic. What do you think that there is something in your life that you can attribute to being able to find that confidence or some things that you might yes. suggest to other people that, that could, that could help them do that? Um, so I was lucky. Um, I had, uh, four parents that were incredibly supportive of me being confident and, um, being the strong independent woman that I am. Um, so I was, I was raised with, um, a lot of, um, allowance to be confident from the get go. Um, so I was lucky in that regard. Um, I would say in terms of, you know, if you, if you haven't had that, if you want to um, have that for yourself, um, surround yourself with people that will give you that, um, be very aware of, and I, I this is going to take, you know, it's, it's not going to be done in a day. Like it's going to take mm -hmm. some courage and soul searching and being really honest with yourself, uh, who, like who, um, who brings me down and who lifts me up? Um, what kind of people am I surrounding myself with? And do I still want to surround myself with those people? Um, am I being honest with myself and my own skills? Um, I, I've also been lucky enough to have uh, parents that were um, always very open to like talking about like introspective things. Um, so I, I do think that I have... Um, a better self-image than most, like a more accurate one. Like I, I, I've thought of, I thought a lot about my faults, but also my stronger points. So I, I feel like I kind of know what they are. Um, yeah, it, it's scary, but it takes some introspective work. And I think it, that's not only women. You know, I think a lot of men could benefit from that as well. Uh, because you know what, what you're what uh, a lot of people say about like I don't know what I want to do most or I want to do everything or um, um, you know what how do I find my target audience? It's I think a lot of it is um, being brave enough, courageous enough to sit down for a couple hours, a couple days, whatever, um, and actually thinking about uh, what do I want. And what people fit with that. So I think you know both men and women women can benefit from that. Yeah. I think you can just straight up ask your uh, your friends who you trust. Say like, you know, is there anything that I do that uh, does not exude confidence? Like, uh, is there anything that I any uh, uh, habits I have that give off an air that I am not confident in what I'm doing? Because yeah. a, uh, a few years ago, I had a friend, a coworker. She, smartest person in the room, and every time she asked, made a suggestion, she would look around, you know, duck her head down and just kind of mm. rift. And she's like, it's, uh, and then she would like kind of crick her voice back and be like, <laughs> "I think we can do this." Yeah. And I had to point it out to her, like, you know, ever, nobody has ever said what you've suggested is a bad idea. So it, just be more confident, be more assertive because uh, nobody is going to, uh, uh, nobody higher up above you is going to think that 
there's anything wrong with you except for the way that you act when you're uh, when you're presenting your ideas. So if you just have the same confidence in you that your friends do, then you'll uh, progress really quickly. And trust them. Like I've I've ta- I've had some talks with people where I go like, no, no, this is truly awesome. You should do this more or whatever. And they're like, no, 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 it's shit. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I I honestly I don't know what to do with that kind of conversation because uh yeah i i, I don't know uh, yeah, i don't know no. how to make people see and that's why that's why i'm talking about introspection because you really need to be honest with yourself and like accept what other people are telling you because you know i i, I haven't like sat down at a desk and um um realized myself that i'm bad at whatever you know i've (laughs) i've got that feedback from others like hey that was really shitty or whoa you were fumbling or whatever um you know and i got that feedback i took it and then i internalized it or whoa you did that really well and i sat there and went like yeah i did that pretty well (laughs) yeah spectra fay in the in the comments made a good point that there just isn't anything that you can do with that conversation (laughs) and I mean, that can, that can, that can be okay too. Um, on this idea of, you know, friends and finding a support group, it's something that we talk a lot about, um, on this show and it's worth noting that, you know, it may be the case that your friends as, as good a friend as they may be, maybe they're not as, as great about giving you the advice or helping you with the confidence that you need. And you might have to look into other places. Um, Don mentioned that Twitch art community is something that can be really good for that. And luckily enough, we have three very strong, confident women since we were talking about women before in the chat. And if it's all right with you, Rangan, maybe I'll link their information in the show notes for your show. Just so like that can be a, a, a resource, uh, a resource point Absolutely. that's relevant to our conversation here. Yeah, cool. Um, so, also related to this, uh, one thing that you you mentioned about, um, you know, 100 emails a day that they that they might get. At how do you have some any kind of uh, tips or tricks for standing out in that? Aside from what we've already talked about, as far as like you know how to be concise and to the point and not have a super huge email. Like, is there anything else that can be done to sort of help you know stick your name out a little bit more? Um. So I I think what they don't see enough of is um, actually portfolios that tick the genre boxes that, that they are working with. So um, for example, I don't know if these if they if, if if I got these examples from like a blog post or a lecture, but um, for example, uh, the genre uh, checkpoints for for epic fantasy are like or like a fantasy trilogy are like first uh first part is a uh, sword like a hand with a sword or whatever then the second is a hammer or an axe uh and the third is whatever you know and it's just like the, the um uh the item and not per se like uh, a person on the book or whatever but then there's also the like the trope of the the guy with the sword you know that's going to be heroic fantasy or whatever but then urban fantasy is a woman on the cover um realistic rendering um, I think usually a city in the background, uh, and some kind of like wisp of magic, and that's like urban fantasy. So okay. Daniel Santos <laughs> is like urban fantasy. 
Um, so there are genre checkpoints that you can tick. And if you, um, if you tick those, then I think you will stand out because uh, I don't think a lot of people, you know, except for like experienced artists that like kind of like learned on the job or whatever. Uh, they have. I don't think that a lot of people have those in their portfolio when they start out sending por portfolios. And uh, another thing that I would take into account is that um, book covers take kind of a different composition, in my opinion, um, compared to just like fantasy art that you want to hang on your wall, um, because they need to. They need room for like the title and stuff. So if you look at um, there's um, there was a Muddy Colors article by Lauren Panapino. I talk about her a lot, but she's taught me a lot. Um, and she talks a lot about like visual hierarchy and compositions that work really well for book covers. And you can always see like there's a, there's a little bit of space um, that leaves room for the title, um, but for a lot of people, feels like the composition is too empty in that part. If you're used to like just making art for on the wall or whatever, for use in a D&D campaign, that kind of stuff. Um, so I think if you include those things in a portfolio, I think that's, well, and of course, like mentioning something specific about the company. Um, if you know a company really well, uh, know their art director like if you say like oh I had an amazing uh, talk with this and this art director and they told me a lot about uh, how this and this piece would fit really well with a project or whatever you know put that in the email because that's going to be your reference and that's going to be your endorsement mm -hmm. um, yeah I think those are things that I would think like would make you stand out should we lie and say that Cynthia Shepard sent me to your email address? <laughs> <laughs> and if think... not, why not? <laughs> <laughs> so um, they're probably going to find out um, because um, art directors do talk to each other. Like I, I hear Irene Gallo and, and, and Lauren Panabento and Christine Fultz are like, refer to each other all the time. And of course, it depends on the niche. Um, so I, I don't think... I don't think games and publishing will talk that much with each other. Or like French publishing and US publishing. Mm, maybe more uh, UK publishing and, and US publishing or something. But, you know, there's, there's going to be certain parts of overlap. And... Um, be on the safe side. Don't lie. <laughs> do you know if if our directors talk to each other um across industries like obviously they talk within you know the publishing industry but do you know publishing industry art directors ever talk to um game development art directors i think it depends on the person so for example i think i'm not sure has has cynthia shepherd done book covers i don't i'm not sure <laughs> um so um um if they might like the, the point is like if they have a converging interest, then they might have met each other at like Elixcon or whatever, um, and and they might talk to each other. They might have become friends. You don't know. Um, uh, I I think Charlie Bowwater is an art director at like Adam Hawk. 
mm. off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know she also does a lot of book covers. So she might want she might be one of those crossover people, you know. Um, but I in general, I don't hear a lot of art directors from different industries talk about each other yet. Right. I think you are I, correct it, about it. It might be about? I, I think you are correct about the Charlie Bowater because I, I follow her and I, I remember her posting something about Adam Hawk recently. They, like they were hiring. And... Yeah. I know, well, I know she works there. I'm just not sure in which capacity. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. So what about some outside-the-box ways of getting the art director's attention? Should you like uh, mail them cookies or, uh, or send them gift cards or... I'd be really scared if someone emailed me. If someone mailed me cookies, like I would not eat those if I were an art director. Um, Rengen said, "Email art directors with uh, marijuana <laughs> infused, made with marijuana infused <laughs> butter." She, you know, she's from uh, Holland, so yeah, yeah she it's... uses drugs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's how they do it over there. I don't know. <laughs> um. I think the best way to make a more personal connection would be, you know, outside of outside of COVID times, it would be to like meet them at a uh, at a convention. Um, but the way I've done it in mostly Corona times, I mean COVID times, um, is um, asking the right questions, be involved in the community, like genuinely. Um, so, for example, I did. Um, I, I bought this course by Lauren Penapinto and Mark Sheff, um, and it's called Make Your Art Work. That's another great resource. Um, they have some free PDFs on like uh, contracts and um, getting hired and getting found and that kind of stuff. But they also have like a whole course. Um, and then that gives access to their Slack community. And um, I was just active in that for a while. Um, asking some questions, answering other people's questions, trying to be thoughtful about it. Um, And so at one point I asked about like the urban fantasy thing. And I said like, Lauren, listen, I'm really sorry to bother you with this again, but I'm really confused. And I'd really like to know more about this because it's so important to me. And she emailed me like, listen, let's just set up a Skype meeting because um, it's, it's, it's easier to explain that way. So I got to like actually talk to her uh, that way. Um, so I guess it's like you stand out by being a thoughtful, genuine person, which is really annoying to hear because I didn't really get it before I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really is okay. It really is a matter of like being friendly, being genuine, and um, not generally not asking the questions like what brushes do you use, um, <laughs> but. <laughs> But but more like the, the specific like the, if they if if you ask the really specific questions, they know um, you've done your research um, and they know that if they're going to put time into you, then you're going to listen and um, um, try and put that to use, I think. I had, um, so that would be my advice. I heard once it was in a relation to, to something else, um, getting articles published online. Um, but they recommended finding the like Twitter accounts of editors uh, for major publications as a way to and not necessarily like 
you know, hit them up with Twitter and, you know, blast their Twitter or whatever, but as a way to just like make a connection, you know, it's a a way to kind of see like a a slightly more in-depth peek into kind of what they're about, what they do when they're not doing their job, you know, those kinds of things. And it can be valuable information. It may lead to a more personalized connection, you know, like anything, don't go into it with, you know, ulterior motives and, you know, being weird and creepy, but I hope I don't have to say that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a, uh, th- things like that. Are, I was thinking, are there like, do you, are you aware of like any like Facebook groups that are relevant to, to this kind of thing or. I know I'm a member of one Facebook group, but that's mostly self-publishing authors. It's not really art directors. Um, maybe I haven't checked like the membership, but it might. Uh, there's this group called what is it called? The Mothership. The Mothership, thing? yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be some art directors active there, just because it's like the the fine art elixcon community fantasy art stuff, and that's yeah. where the art directors are generally active as well. Um, but I. I Personally, I haven't made any connections through that. I've mostly made connections through um, the the Slack, um, you guys, like the the Discord, the Fantasy Artists Discord, and um, email. Did I say that already? No, email. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, there's there's like loads of ways. I mean, that that's always the thing about. Uh, um, oh, it was two episodes ago who said that like the thing about advice is that the advice might not go for you it might not work for you it was right. Farley but I think um, the person before that said it as well Sal the Dark Cloak yeah exactly so um, anyway so you know this is how I did it this is what works for me but the point is this is also due to the mix of the person that I am Mm. Um, if you are an extroverted person, if you have the balls to phone up a company, <laughs> then that might work as well, you know? Um, so I do think that, um, take all that advice, distill it, and then see what fits for you. I think I, that's the most important thing. I have a slightly darker, uh, question before we sort of transition yeah. from the world of, publishing and i want definitely want to take some time to talk about some of your personal work because it's really cool um but to put it to put a pin in it for the moment do you have any sense of like what the the future of book publishing is and the opportunities for people to be doing art for for book covers you know as i i hate the term the digital age but Mm. (laughs) it's having the effect that it is on everything do you have any sort of impression of what that means for book publishing, art for covers, and that sort of thing? So I was reading this Reddit post yesterday, I think, about um, it was like an entrepreneur sub or whatever. I don't know how I got there, but um, somebody was saying, no, it wasn't author sub. Anyway, um, somebody was saying, I had mostly ebooks, then I started doing paperbacks, and they sold like hotcakes compared to my ebooks. Um, so people still love reading books, um, despite what we think about like the digital age. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think that books are 
pretty alive and kicking. Um, but I do, I do think that um, it is the nature of things to evolve. Um, it would be pretty weird, I think, if publishing disappears before an alternative pops up. And if it doesn't disappear, then you know then where, where's the problem. Um, so in that in in that sense, I'm I'm a pretty optimistic person in the sense that I'm not I can't be as nihilistic as thinking like every everything will crumble because I'm thinking <laughs> because I think like we're we're too as as a human species we have too much of a will to survive to actually let a system crumble, basically. Um, so in that case, I think if publishing does disappear, something else will reappear, probably, that most people can work with. I think there's always going to be a market, at least as long as our generation is alive, for uh, people to buy hardcover books or even mm. softcover. Uh, I don't know if you remember or ever saw this comic by uh, Sarah Anderson, where she was uh, – it was like a four-panel thing where she was budgeting buying food, budgeting uh, – you know, schoolwork, budgeting, all this other stuff. And then when it came to buying books, she had this giant mink fur coat and she was just throwing down money everywhere and making it rain. <laughs> well, the key word there is you said our generation. And I think like amongst the three of us and the demographics of, you know, most of our audience, we could be the, the last generation of book buyers because I feel like everybody coming after, after us could just be like, cool, um, where do I download this? Uh, this mm. this is uh, not something that I legitimately believe, but the I'm usually I'm usually a, a pretty optimistic person, but the pessimist in me is just like, yeah, that's that's a that's a dying art. <laughs> people, I mean, yeah, people reading but, books like in said, 2060, meh, maybe. I don't know. I I also see I I can also see some kind of um, reactionary wave happen. Like in 20 years, everybody is so fed up with the internet that they massively mm -hmm. go back to like libraries and books and whatever, uh, because they're done with all the mental health damage that social media does to their minds or something. So I, that is that is actually something that I am optimistic about is that there is enough pushback happening against social media that the maladaptive attributes of it will become apparent enough that people will want to be like okay let's let's do something different um but we'll, we'll actually get get to to that because you had an, a, an interesting experience with social media recently um but leading up to that uh i want to shift over a little bit and have you talk about this pretty awesome personal project that you have going can you tell us about what that is and how that fits into your work so uh, my personal project is called Nether Realms. Um, that it has to do with Netherlands is an accident, but um, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, and Nether Realms um, is a story that I wrote, um, and it revolves around a young woman called Nergui, um, who's really reliant on her father, but she gets forced in, uh, to like learn to stand on her own two feet because um, she gets thrown into the Nether Realms uh, when. A pandemic hits the world. I wrote this oh. in 2016, uh, not oh, on purpose. It's, it's all your um, fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was writing it down the first time when COVID just hit, and I was like, oh, "Holy crap, man!" Okay. Oh, too um, creepy. 
And so, um, but Nether Realms, it's like a world stuck between um, life, death, dreams, and time. Uh, so it's basically a story about how Nergui needs to learn to cope without her dad. Um, and naturally, she, she wants to get back to Earth, to her own world. And so um, I took two months off of my uh, day job to actually write a first draft for the whole thing. Um, did a couple drafts, said, okay, this is finished, not perfect. Um, and I wanted to turn it into a graphic novel at first. Um, I actually started like working four and a half days to be able to do that, but I didn't have like enough time management skills to do that yet. Um, so it got like pushed down a little bit. And then a couple months ago, um, I thought like, okay, so if I want to do more illustrations, cause you know, I'm always like making personal work to fill up my portfolio. Um, I could use nether realms, make illustrations for that. Um, develop, the, you know, be able to work on my own project, but at the same time also make portfolio pieces. Um, so that's why I decided to actually start it up again. And I noticed that people were responding to it. Um, so that's when I decided to like divert my Patreon from just personal work to actually being NetherRealms focused. Uh, because I noticed that people respond way more to stories, which I like rationally knew, but you know, sometimes you have to experience it yourself to actually believe it or something. How does um, how does that yeah. how does that look um, in terms of the stories versus the artwork? Is there is there the original idea was a writing project, uh, like an idea for a book that you had, uh, and then you started um, doing... the original. The original idea was a graphic novel. Oh, okay. Um, which I'd still like to do, but it's so different from. Um, like the, the work that I'm trying to do now, like the niche that I'm in now, um, that it would take, like, unless I get paid uh, to do that full time, um, I would do it. But right now I need to combine, kind of combine my personal project with my professional work, professional work and this is my way to do it. So I can like work on my um, personal project, but at the same time I can create uh, a portfolio piece for my professional work. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how I'm able to, justify working on my personal project basically there's um a lot of activity in the chat that is requesting that you please write the the sequel or an immediate follow-up um where <laughs> the pandemic is eradicated and everything <laughs> everything goes back to normal oh no no no! that's just the start of the story guys it, oh, shit. you know <laughs> all right well Wait, are you saying it gets worse? Or <laughs> yeah, no, a... I just said I'm a hopeful person. I get I do the hero's journey, not the what's it called? You know, the I do I do um oh man, what's it called? I don't do dramas. Okay. I do hopeful stuff. Yeah, so like Game of Thrones was it starts everything starts to resolve and then it gets worse. And then everything yeah. starts to resolve and then it gets worse. That's, okay. No, that's not my kind of I mean, of course it gets worse at one point, but then there's there's gotta be like some 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 no, I don't do I don't do horrible endings. Come on. I'm a hopeful person. Are you watching the show Yellowstone? This is No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um if you if you can find it, I would rec recommend it for um inspiration in how much worse things can get before they get better and how great it feels <laughs> when things get better. Um if if I that's mean it, I, I don't want to give things away, but things get pretty bad for her. Okay. Okay. So, 
Yeah, I don't want you I to think give. I, I, I think I, I, uh, I, I do. I, I think I <laughs> do enough to my characters to justify these arcs. So don't worry. Read the story. Like you know, follow me. Um. <laughs> yeah. So in so in lieu of the graphic novel, uh, how do you present the the story as it evolves in in conjunction with the illustrations? Um, so right now I do um, bits of uh, of the story and then I post it with a piece of text. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, um, I have like my mother time piece um, and it shows a bit about where Nergui and her, her mentor figure, Zara, um, where they meet mother time, which is like a deity in, uh, in the uh, nether realms. Um, and I just post a, a piece of text, like an excerpt um, of the story. And that's how I go through the illustrations. And actually, the the project is um, letting me get more in-depth about the characters because I also, like, the nether realms are expansive. Expansive? Enough? Hold on. What am I hearing? Oh, that's a ring. Sorry, I heard a rumble and I was like, what's happening? Thank God it is just a Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, so uh, the Nether Realms is expansive enough that I can like explore different parts um, without ha- it having to be totally ca- uh, canon. Canon. Um, canon. Yeah. canon. Um, but it's still like really interesting, and it still explores more of the Nether Realms. Um, so that's what I'm basically doing right now. Like um, I've, I'm coming up with so many images. I just posted on Twitter like. Uh, yesterday, like I have a whole, I have a year's worth of content in thumbnails already for Nether Realms, uh, just because I'm so inspired of, uh, by all the uh, by all the pieces that I want to do, you know, and all the dreamscapes that you can see. And um, um, it's also really interesting to um, because it's like er- the Earth is set in mostly in uh, the Netherlands uh, because you know, write, write what you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she would have dreams about the Netherlands and like elements from there. So I can make like really Dutch landscapes, but then in dreamscapes. And well, it's really, it's really interesting to me. It's, there's a lot to explore and I can't wait to do it basically. <laughs> well, you had me at Dutch landscapes. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'm Very so flat. Yeah. <laughs> it's a windmill. It's a tiny little windmill. Yeah. So I'm so happy that you said that you have a year's worth of thumbnails ready to go. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in the yeah. same, I'm in the same boat. So I imagine you feel some of the same pain as like, how am I going to do all of these? Which one do I do first? You know, like mm-hmm. how do you choose the next one that you want to work on, you know, and navigate your way around this inclination to try and second guess your audience well maybe they'd rather see this one or maybe they'd rather see that one and uh, i really want to do this one but should i make it cooler all of those kinds of things um to sum up like all of those neuroses that i'm projecting onto you and just assuming that (laughs) you're just like me in this uh how do you balance between the professional work and the personal work so that you 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 feel like you're getting a decent amount of each done, and you're getting mm-hmm. the right type of personal work done. Mm-hmm. So um, two years ago now, almost 
I started using this work method called GRIP. Um, I've been harping on and on about it for you know a year, um, but um, it's a Dutch book. It's almost out in English. Almost, almost. <laughs> I keep saying tease. this, but almost. Um, <laughs> and um, it's it's kind of like uh, this work method. I think it's called getting things done, but it's simpler and it's more customizable to how you work. Hmm. So um, I basically try to get everything out of my head in terms of like scheduling to dos and whatever and on the paper uh, or digital paper, whatever. Uh, so I have a to-do list um, and I write everything on there uh, from buying presents for a birthday to uh, I need to email this person back to um, I need to check my, uh, uh, my audio setup before I have a podcast interview. Um, and I time block my calendar. Um, so, uh, every Friday I sit down, I review the week. So this also, uh, comes down to introspection. How did the week go? Um, what do I want to do better next week? And then I plan out the next week. Um, I also have quarterly goals. So every quarter I sit down and I think like, okay, this quarter I want to get three illustrations done for NetherRealms. Um, I want to uh, have a certain revenue. I want to uh, do three push-ups a day, whatever. <laughs> um, and um, I want to email uh, 50 people, you know, for a job or whatever. Um, and I try to make it really measurable so it's really easy to see if I fulfilled my goal or not. Um, and so it takes a lot of planning and also a lot of insight into your work. So I do time myself when I work so i know what kind of um illustration takes what uh takes what amount of what, what amount of time which amount of time um so i'm able to fairly accurately say uh a nether realms illustration takes me on average 20 hours um so i make sure to plan that into my calendar uh beforehand so i block out that time so that when you know, uh, a client comes or I, like three clients coming at once, um, I can say like, okay, I can take this on and I can take that on, but I can't take that one on because then I'm going to run short on, short on time. Um, something else that I try to do is like have a buffer for NetherRealms, for example. Like when I'm low on client work, I'll do two illustrations uh, for NetherRealms, but uh, I won't post the second one until the next month. Um you know, because I also, uh, for, and it, it serves two purposes. One, it's for my buffer. Two, it makes it really easy for people to know what to expect uh, because I have a schedule. Like every Wednesday, I post to the Patreon. Um, it's going to be one process piece. It's going to be the final piece. It's going to be a half-hour time lapse. Um, and then something else. Uh, oh, yeah, an insight into my work process. Um, and that's going to be like, and then, you know, if I, if there's like five weeks in a month, I post like a news thing, you know, about like my, my, uh, my client work or whatever. Um, so every Wednesday there's going to be an update and it's going to be really consistent. So people know exactly what to expect when. Um, so all those things combined mm -hmm. <laughs> basically, um, mean that I, um, uh, Make sure, make sure that I don't overplan myself, basically. And I know um, how much time a task is going to take me generally. I plan generously. 
Um, and uh, I try to do it for as much as possible, especially, you know, sometimes even for home tasks um, or like private tasks, but, um, um, but especially for professional work. So for example, my me me social media planning, I do that like once per two weeks and I just block out an afternoon. Um, so it's gonna be like a block in my calendar every two weeks social media planning. Um, and I knew from experience that I went over all the time. So I started giving myself more time. Uh, I was like, okay, I need to take like this afternoon and give myself an extra hour or else I'm not gonna make it. Um, so yeah, it's, if, again, like, I, I keep coming, I keep coming back to this, but, um, I do think a lot of, um, a lot of chaos in our lives comes from a lack of introspection. So, um, if you're willing and able to analyze your own behavior, your own time needs, um, then um, you're, I think you're able to take a lot of chaos out of your life just because you're able to give yourself the space to do the thing instead of thinking like, because I, get, I used to get really discouraged um, when um, I would have like a to-do list, but I wouldn't time block anything. So I would say like, okay, today I'm going to work on three illustrations. I'm going to clean the house. Um, I'm also going to email all these people and um, I'm going to make time to watch a movie with my husband. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. That does not get done. No, that. Um, and then, and then you get discouraged because you, you know, you didn't get it done, mm -hmm. and you're like, "Oh my god, I failed, I suck, and whatever." Um, and now my days are like, "Oh, okay, I did this task. I did all my tasks for today. Oh, that was a pretty good day." So um, there are people that we know or have met that uh, they have a skill level that's appro appropriate for this kind of work. Um, but they're not getting any jobs. They don't know where to look for these jobs. So how would you suggest that they block out a, a week, for example? Like how many art directors should they try to email? How many pieces should they work on to fill their portfolio? That sort of thing. If they're, if they're starting at like just they a, had a week? one. Just saying the first week. Let's say the first week. How would oh. they block it out? Um, I would say um, first just write it down in a list. Um, and then lock it out and uh, see how much time you can fill. Um, in terms of, uh, I think I think it's really um, th that's the thing. Like it really depends on your own schedule preferences. Like I know I I always schedule my day. Like I do first. I do like an hour and a half of painting. Then I have an hour and a half of tasks that I need to do. Like uh, things like email that person, uh, post this, schedule this on social media, uh, make sure the Twitter thread is retweeted or whatever. Um, and then I have like an afternoon to either do business stuff. So, for example, um, updating my spreadsheets or um, um, emailing all the all the art directors or whatever. Um, and I know I work best that way, but I also know um, that. Um, a friend of uh, a friend of mine. She likes to get all her to dos out of the way first before she starts painting. You know, and she saves the painting for the end of the day when she knows she has nothing more to do. And that's how she works best. Um, so I find it kind of difficult to like give advice on that. Um, I think 
you should give yourself the space to experiment with it for a couple months um, and give yourself the space to readjust because I know the schedule works for me now, but I had a different at first uh, because I did start out with my to-dos first. And then I noticed that if something didn't get done or like I had an email, I, I saw an email come in that I had to like respond to or that like gave me anxiety because I didn't know how to respond or something that was in my head for the rest of the day. And I hated it. So I started out with painting first and then looking at my emails. Um, so in terms of, I, I would say read the book when it's out. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah. We've heard, we've heard that, we've heard that advice before of, especially for checking email, make that the very last mm -hmm. thing that you do in your day. If it's one of the first things you can sap a huge amount of mental energy from yourself dealing with that or avoiding dealing with that and that will just crush your creative capacity for the rest of the day um i free you up that's the point yeah um so uh, you know i i don't th i don't think there's like cut and clear advice to give on that um, honestly I, I i wanted to get a little bit more granular uh on your system in terms of personal versus professional and hmm. is it is it a the way that you balance your week are you going to spend time on or in each area on any given week or is it like this week is professional work next week is personal work and like you leapfrog or it depends it... on deadlines okay yeah so that's so that's why i have i have quarterly goals but i plan weekly um this month, I do have my whole month planned out already because it was so much that I needed to know if I could do all the work that I needed to do within the month. Mm -hmm. uh, so I already plan everything out, time blocked everything. But usually when it's like quieter, um, I plan week to week because then I can um, anticipate on deadlines, but also things that I feel like doing or find important at that moment. Um, so I've had weeks where, um, uh, where I really focused on the Patreon, but I have, all, have also had weeks where all the client work came in and I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm doing client work this week. Um, so, um, yeah, it kind of depends on the week. And I think it, um, I think it helps me a lot to be like a little bit flexible, but, um, not more than a week kind of because then i know mm -hmm. at the beginning of each day what i what i need to do um and i don't like sit at my desk in the morning and feel and, and sit thinking like what was i going to do today you know or what do i feel like doing today um so it's already scheduled uh so i just do the thing so how do you punish yourself when you don't stick to the <laughs> schedule i have this whip vlogging <laughs> yeah. yeah um I don't, I schedule more time, basically. Um, I, I think that's also the thing, like um, every everything, if I don't make it in that time, um, either I, I go like another hour and finish the thing, um, or I'm like, well, that was a learning experience. Apparently I'm much slower at this than I thought. So I schedule more time, you know, and I might get a bit cranky, like let's be real. Um, but um, 
yeah, I don't. It's it's a it's it's one big learning experience. <laughs> yeah, and there and there is some valuable psychology in that too. You know, especially you know um, speaking to the the concept of in, introspection. You know, and being aware of your own sort of like internal monologues and 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 motivations. And we love to punish ourselves. Um, mm. And I have recently sort of gotten um, really stuck on this idea of uh, cultivating a relationship with the side of yourself that is friendly. Like every once mm-hmm. in a while, there's 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 the nice voice. Like usually it's all the mean voices, but sometimes there's the nice voice that's like, you're doing all right, you know? And I think that if we actually like it seems silly but if we actually like kind of role play into that and pretend that we're talking to that person more often then maybe they'll start showing up more often and on top of that when the mean voice kicks in acknowledge it be like it's cool i know why you're here it's all it's yeah it's all right it's gonna be it'll be cool but then it's like you can't avoid it you know you can't avoid that self-punishment really unless you're some kind of fucking zen monk and if that's your you need secret. to be really comfortable with yourself if you're gonna yeah exactly right um but anyway you recently took a big chunk of time off from social media right you you sort of like participated in in your own like um self-driven study you correct me if i'm wrong you you watch that documentary the is it the social network is that what it's called the social dilemma the social dilemma um, yeah, and that, it, and that's it, what kind of triggered it. Yeah. Yeah. So, tell us about that, and and what the fuck did you do when you weren't on Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, actually, uh, I I kind of so um, what really um, connected with me was when Farley said, "I hate Instagram." Mm. I, I kind of feel the same way. <laughs> um, but um, so what I. What I plan, what I might do, uh, what, what my plan was at first was to like do like a social media detox for, for a month. Um, and I might do that um, from Christmas to like the end of January or something. So I think in that case, I would like plan all my posts to not like completely disappear off of social media, but then mm-hmm. have like a disclaimer in my pinned tweet or something like, I am off of social media. I am reachable by email, but here's my posts. Um, what I have done in the meantime, because I did want to spend less time on social media, is I've tried to limit my social media use to one hour a day, like one specific hour. Um, and I came up with that idea because when I was uh, littler and we still had uh, dial-up, I think, <laughs> yeah, before we had DSL. Um, yeah, when we still had dial-up, I got one hour a day on in the internet from my mom, you know. Um, and I, I thought back to it and I was like, kind of like, well, that was kind of nice because, um, I knew I could be excited about that hour in the day. Um, but it wasn't an issue for the rest of the day because I knew I wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing that I was going to do because it was a thing that I was going to do later in the day after dinner, uh, usually. Um, so I thought like, well, I could do the same with my social media. Um, I'm just going to stay off of social media for most of the day. Um, and for after dinner, I can sit down for like an hour or half an hour or whatever and check all my social media and reply to some stuff and then be done with it again. 
Um, and so to, at first I'll admit it was hard because the first thing we do, or at least I did, I do still, uh, when I wake up is grab my phone, yeah, go to Twitter, whatever, Reddit. Um, and, um, so that took some, like, I actually, I had, I had myself, like, I took all of the apps off of my social media or off of my phone. I logged out, out of all the websites and I still found myself picking up my phone, staring at it, yeah. going like, where are my apps? Yeah. What do I do? What can I do? <laughs> um, so, you know, it was, uh, it, I think it took, I kept, I kept a kind of, uh, little diary like i wrote a small uh, small bit about how it was going every day i think it took like three days before i stopped doing that and then after two weeks i was really relaxed about it and then um it's i started slipping again so mm -hmm. i'll be super honest i'm not adhering to the one hour thing uh, anymore but i want to restart it um it's just been really difficult because i've been uh preparing something um, that starts tomorrow, actually. Um, so it's been really hard to stay off of social media. <laughs> what are you preparing? Uh, I'll tell you later. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> tomorrow, but, but in it, fact. But no, it, I can tell. I can tell you, like, when we will like finish the uh, the uh, the talk. Okay. Or okay. 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 But so you did uh, maintain that for some amount of time. How long? How long would you say that you went before you started to slip and? I would say well. um, I would say a month. Okay, so that's that's still a, a good amount of time. Like a month is yeah, that's like a great amount of time. To like well, actively be yeah. controlling your own social media use. What were you gonna say? Actually, this? something that happened now that I hmm? let's go ahead that I can look up my my diary thing. I was gonna say um, after watching the social dilemma and a few weeks ago, uh, Brian did say all of it is true. And that's true. Of course, it's true. But um, I, I see the evidence of it so often. Like, I'll see an email from uh, uh, Instagram saying, hey, Mike, you haven't logged in for a while. Check out what your <laughs> friends are up to. And it'll list the friends by name. And I'm like, how do they know I'm talking to these people? So, yeah. Wow. That's brutal. Um, yeah, so my first, I started on the 19th of September, and I my last entry is from October 8th, but I, I know that I went on for a little more. I just didn't write anymore because I didn't feel like it added to anything. So I would say, yeah, I would say a good month that I did that. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was really valuable. And the way I, I gave myself like an out eventually was like having options, <laughs> basically having hobbies. Um, uh, so I had like uh, a book, you know, that I was reading, um, like, and I had it like on my nightstand, so I wouldn't be tempted to grab mm -hmm. my phone instead of the book. Right. Um, I had uh, time limits on my phone. You know, I couldn't go on social media without getting a time limit notification. Like, uh, excuse me, you're not supposed to be here. Um, and uh, I actually like felt the urge to go draw again like for myself, instead of seeing it as work. You know, I just started picking up Procreate and just sketching again. Um, what else? I watched TV without my phone in my hands. That was pretty nice. 
Um, and I, yeah, that kind of stuff. Like, I, I mean, it's so weird, isn't it? That, that, that we ask ourselves the questions, what do we do without social media? So weird. Yeah. It's especially, <laughs> especially because I'm, I'm old enough to remember a time before there was social media and that makes it even exactly. more, sur- that makes it even more surreal. It's almost like, um, having, I don't know, maybe this isn't the greatest example, but, uh, but it's almost like having amnesia after a night of hard drinking where you're like, well, you know that you were <laughs> doing something, but what? And, but I, I would, I would love to know if you have any, um, noticeable impression of like, improvements or changes to your mental state, your mental health. I definitely felt like I had a lot more time in my day. Um, and I felt a lot calmer. Um, I do feel like, I think, I'm not sure why, but I think like the, the thing that pulled me out of that social media thing was that I got a lot of notifications again. Um, and like, I really wanted to look at them. Um, and a lot of times in the evening because something was going viral or whatever and I wanted to like update stuff and respond to messages and whatever. Um, but then afterwards, I really noticed like, whoa, that took a lot out of me. Like it takes a lot of your attention away. Um, and I do feel like when you, well, when you don't have to worry about social media or your, if you have any new notifications during the day, it just makes you a lot more focused i mean you know basically what what other people probably have been reporting when they quit social media like you feel a lot more calm you feel a lot more uh, focused you're less worried about drama that you're not really that you don't really need to worry about basically mm-hmm. like a lot of drama passes by uh, without you, you even worry about the, uh, luckily you didn't have to worry about the uh, u.s election like you did. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would I, I dare you to care as much about our election in March as we did about your election. Like it was all over the news for weeks and weeks. It was <laughs> the media could talk about nothing else. It was a big thing. Interesting. Big I didn't thing. know that. Well, I mean thankfully All eyes were on the US. Yeah, I mean thankfully the, the election in the Netherlands isn't going to ruin the world but um art, well, depending on who you ask but <laughs> art in the chat has uh had a, an interesting question um do you feel like it affected your income in the in the time mm. that you took off um or as a result of the time that you were taking off to paraphrase his question uh, did that you see a, did you see a did you see a dip in contracts in new work so i mean to be super honest um I rely more on like uh, the few bigger contracts than that I uh, than than like the small uh, things that come in often. Um, so uh, no, but that's also because I was working on a really big commission at the time. Um, so I was set for like three months. Okay. Um, if, but. Um, I do, I'm, I'm not sure how my current commissioner found me. Um, so I'll have to, have to actually ask them, but it was like an email out of the blue. Um, they were like, do you want to do a cover for us? And I was like, yes, of course. Um, but I have no idea where they came from. <laughs> so now that we're talking money, uh, what kind of 
income do you, you said you get most of yours from, from big projects, but what are big projects? You don't have to be specific in terms of dollar amount, but you can be. Well, honestly, right now, um, I'm below poverty level. Um, but I also think that's because um, I just started, like, I I, I, start, I started my, my company, like, off. I started in 2018, but I started, like, illustrating for publishing a year and a half ago. So um, I do feel like I'm really still building up my uh, reputation within the industry. Um, and um, the last couple months have been a lot better. So I do feel like I'm actually getting my name out there. I'm getting a reputation out there that I'm, you know, like nice to work with. I am on time. I deliver good work. Um, so it's been getting better. And I'm actually pretty excited to see what next year um, amounts to. So um, right now, I don't make enough to make a living. Um, but I, you know, I prepared for that. Like I worked in-house and saved a lot uh, for like six years. I worked full time before I actually went out and started freelancing. So, um, you know, plus I, you know, I also, I, I already like had the house when I started freelancing and that kind of stuff. So I'd already built up a lot of stability before I actually did this, like jumped into the deep end. So yeah, and, and I guess it's a matter of preparation. That's a, that's a common thing that you'll hear people that are jumping into freelance um, say about it, you know, is that it, it's, it's a tough transition and you have to be prepared for some hard times. And, but the, I, I, that's one of the reasons that I was excited about talking to you is because I, I feel like it's a, it, it's one of the interesting points to catch somebody is you're like right in the middle of it, you know, and yeah. you're, you're learning these lessons as we speak you know like 20 years down the road when you're this seasoned veteran that's interesting too but maybe your recollection or the way that memory will color the experience um it, it could change the the way that you would answer some of these questions so it's it's interesting to 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 catch it right now um but i wanted to ask too like if you oh go ahead no go ahead well i was i was just gonna um um expand on that in the sense that I think that, um, well, you know, uh, one fantastic week when they did their mentorships, <clears throat> that was more valuable to me than when they just did their interviews. And also when I like talk to like really experienced friends, mm -hmm. um, I notice <clears throat> that they say like, Oh yeah, you just, you just need to make a post about it on social media or whatever. I'm like, yeah, but I get crickets, <laughs> you know, what am I supposed to do with that? Um, and they don't experience that anymore uh, because they're so experienced and they have the reputation of whatever. So um, it's, I agree that it's really interesting to see what advice people give as they're experiencing it, as you say, as you said. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So we'll have you on again in five years. And uh... Uh, oh, sooner, please. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. But uh, in, no. <laughs> in, in seriousness, though, um, just spending a little quick little bit more time on this break from social media, you know, you've you've sort of experimented with it a little bit. You have the plan to take off a full month. Do you have ideas for you've talked a, a little bit about, you know, how you fill your time otherwise? But do you do you have specific ideas for in terms of like productivity uh, of either like working on projects, professional or personal, 
um, that you will make a point of plugging into the time space that you would have otherwise been on social media? Um, productivity wise, I wouldn't because um, I do feel like um, social media impacts more of my downtime than my productive time. Um, okay. That's me personally. So I'm, I'm already pretty good about um, turning off all my, like I don't have any notifications on my phone except for like from my husband or uh, from things that I need to remember, you know. Um, but so you're already ahead of the game still... in this sense. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> yeah. um, so all of that is turned off. So um, I don't, I, I make it, I make a point of it to have like a lot of uh, distraction free time during work hours. So I work, um, I, I don't work long hours. I work from 10 in the morning to one, then I have like an hour lunch break and then I work from two to five um, and then I'm done basically. But then I'm like also like spent, you know, um, because there are six high focus hours um, where I do like all my tasks uh, for, for all the, you know, uh, all the scheduling, all the, all the discourse with, uh, with clients or whatever. I do all my painting in that time. Um, but then, you know, when, while I'm sitting on the couch, because most of my audience is in the US, I need to post on social media on like 6 p.m. for me. Because that's when the U.S. starts to wake up, and that's when the responses come in. Um, so um, it it impacts my downtime more because I'm on the couch, watching a movie, checking my Twitter because the notifications are coming in, and I'm curious if I have notifications yet. Okay. Um. So in in terms of if it does impact your uh, productivity, um, I would say. There's going to be enough that you want to do because um, there's already a lot of cases where people are like, I want more than 24 hours in my day. Um, so I do think that either um, it's going to free up more free time because you're going to be done with your work quicker <laughs> um, or it's going to give you space to tackle more of what you want to do. I you're think. like you're like this unicorn like the, you're the, <laughs> the first person i think i've met that has like alleviated themselves of the curse of feeling unproductive like you like you're not you're not concerned with like ways that you need to be more productive or more efficient with your productivity is that true i think you're making yourself conscious <laughs> no i'm no. i'm i'm impressed <laughs> i I'm, i don't mean to put you on the spot but that's I, it's I it's mean, interesting. I, I do, I I do kind I do kind of agree. I just you know um, I've done the all nighters. I've done the twelve hour workdays. Like I um, I study game design and and the course the 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 university that I went to um, was kind of known as this really like work yourself to the bone kind of thing where mm. um, as soon as you're you you got through the first year you basically dropped uh, um, one subject every. Uh, every term because otherwise you wouldn't be able to get through all the classes that you needed to um, and like people had burnouts and whatever so I did the whole thing and I'm really aware again with the introspection I'm really I'm just really aware of what my limits are and when I am at my most productive because I used to be a night owl um, but I noticed that I feel a lot better if I go to bed at 10 and like or you know prepare for bed at 10 and then wake up at 8 
Um, mm. And uh, I feel energized and I feel productive. And um, I, 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 I fill my calendar in a way that I know I'm going to be the most efficient. However, um, I do love setting up systems to try and be more efficient. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, so an example of that would be um, um, I used to plan my social media and I didn't really have a set plan. Um, so I did know that I wanted to post like three times a week, um, but I didn't uh, know what I was going to post. So part of the social media scheduling that I had to do was thinking of, you know, thinking up content. Uh, which takes a lot of time. But now that I have the Patreon scheduled, I take that and I translate it to a social media schedule. Um, and I know exactly what I'm going to post when, or like I have like 50% filled in. And that saves me so much time <laughs> because I just need to like copy paste something or like uh, fill in a template and then I'm done. And I just need to focus on actually making the creative work um, mm -hmm. instead of wor being worried about what I need to post on social media now, because, you know, that takes a lot of energy. And I think that's what a lot of people worry about. Yeah. Yeah. With that's... the added advantage that people know what they're going to get when. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. I, I, I like that idea a lot of like that compartmentalization. That I think that is the for my own productivity. I think that that's the thing that's missing. You know, of like, um, I've ta I talked about it on the last podcast. That that's like what I try and think about in terms of like this is my business time and this is like my creative time and and all of that. Um, but I'm still trying to like keep like the the regularity of it is the thing that I feel like. You say you plan, you know, your week out. Maybe that would be the the thing to do because. That's still a struggle, uh, even though I know one thing about I one thing ahead. I also do is um, I uh, bike around for 15 minutes before and after work. So okay. um, I, I because especially because my desk is like in the living room, dining room, kitchen area. Um, open I concept. Meet, yeah, super open concept. Um, I um, I need to take myself out of that mental space or into that mental space, you know, if I'm going to work basically. And this really helped one, it helps with my, uh, with my health, uh, cause I wanted to like lose some weight. So I started biking. Um, but I noticed it's also really good for my mental health. Um, uh, because I kind of like, I can, I can get, I can get a little anxious if I have to do something like, I know I need to send an email that I've been stuck on, or, um, I'm anxious to know if somebody has emailed me back or whatever. Um, and I can wake up feeling anxious, but then I go for a bike ride and I feel a lot better just because mm. I've like cleared my head. Um, usually I listen to the podcast while I work or while I, while I bike around or whatever. And it just takes me into a different headspace. And, uh, the same goes for, for when, you know, the day's ended. All right. I put on my shoes and I go for a bike ride and then I come home and then either I start making dinner or my husband does. So it's, yeah, I guess. People say they don't like schedules because it feels too rigid. Um, and in that sense, I agree because I, I don't always start at like 10 exactly. 
sometimes they start at 10 to 10, sometimes they start at 10.30 or whatever. Um, but there is a rhythm to it that gets me into different mental headspaces. Yeah, and I've also heard something about like scheduling time to be spontaneous. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you've got like Friday afternoons where you don't have anything planned, and then that's where you can surprise yourself and that this mental trick. But um, yeah, I don't know. Moose, did you have anything else uh, to follow all of this up with? Actually, I think I do that sometimes too. Nice. No, Moose is quiet for once. God such a blabbermouth and so shocking um no i'm good i was gonna ask a question about oreos but uh i don't think that's <laughs> oreos <appropriate>. <laughs> well <laughs> no you've got my curiosity what about no, oreos no no I, I have a friend that was uh in, in the same region as you and uh, they collect oreos because they don't have as wide of a, uh, a variety over there as we do over here I, I didn't even know they have a variety of oreos <laughs> exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a whole other conversation itself. Um, well, before we fully wrap up, there's one more question that I have for you. Aside from personal work or client work, um, what's something that's happening in the world right now that you're really excited about? Um, I'm really excited that um, renewable energy is now cheaper than fossil fuel. What? Where? <laughs> Everywhere. Where? That's not true. <laughs> Yes, it is. Hold on. Um, there's this podcast, um, and it's called, it's from Gimlet, and it's called How to Save a Planet. And I think I heard it on there where they talk about it, that like um, uh, fossil fuels. And I think I've, I've been reading about it for a while. Um, it's, it's just, it's become cheaper. And it's, it's so cool because we've been, um, uh, our, our energy supplier, uh, has been some form of green energy for years and it's really nice to see it actually confirmed that it does work because there are so many naysayers <laughs> everybody in the chat too is like yeah it's true it's like come on dummy where have you been yeah, it was a thank big you thing on Reddit i'm not post. lying yeah. <laughs> i wow okay yeah i'm just like out of the loop i guess because it's my my intuition based on i don't know like whatever talking head garbage that I probably shouldn't be paying attention to is like, you know, well, how do we, how does America, you know, relieve itself from fossil fuels? And the thing that everybody's always talking about is like, well, the, it's the gasoline or, um, yeah, fossil fuels are so fucking cheap. Like it's hard to wean yourself off of something that's so readily available and, you know, subsidized by the government and war, you know, so this is it's, I, it's also a jobs thing so there's mm. a lot of people out there would be out of work if they uh did switch off the that money pipeline to them but uh, you know there yeah, are other jobs it also, but, yeah. it also creates a lot of new jobs again you know to work in green energy they're uh, not you, different union uh, but yeah <laughs> they're not doing anything weird like including natural gas in green energy are they like is that uh, an expert like okay don't, don't ask me those questions <laughs> Suddenly, this is a totally different podcast, but I, that was, <laughs> I, you blew my mind, in, which in is why of, I asked in, that question. Great. This is now the air well, conditioned podcast. podcast. <laughs> yeah. In terms of that, you know, like um, um, having a more negative outlook on the world than necessary, 
there's this book I'm reading right now, um, which is called Factfulness. And it's uh, by a Swedish uh, scientist, medical professional. He's passed away now, but um, uh, Hans Rosling. And he talks about like how to be more factual, but at the same time more positive because of those, that, those facts. Um, hmm. And he shows like a lot of things about like, you know, how much of the world is vaccinated, how much of the world has access to um, uh, electricity or vaccine. Oh, I already said vaccine, uh, education, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. The answers might surprise you. I, I'm so writing. I that. I'm writing these things down: how to save the planet and factfulness. They are notes for me, and they will be in the show notes for you as well. <laughs> and I do is- want to point out that we didn't uh, unpin the thing, the tease from earlier, where uh, she was going to talk about what was coming tomorrow. So she said, well, she's, um, oh, you, you, you do want to talk about it in the recording? I thought you were saying I, like I after do. it. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying after the recording is, is stopped. Okay. Oh, okay. No. Yes. I'm, tell us, I tell us, tell us. I would love to talk about it now. So the thing, so one of the reasons I've been so busy this month, or I'm going to be so busy this month, month is because uh, I've been uh, preparing a Patreon special offer. And so I've been posting like, mad on social media explaining people uh, about nether realms and uh the uh, uh the patron that actually exists because a lot of people didn't actually know it existed and so starting i think in eight minutes um every um every patron that joins for the rest of the month five plus for five plus dollars is going to get like a special holiday postcard from me in december um and um, it's going to be Netherrealms team themed, of course. Um, and it's not going to be in print anywhere else. It's just going to be for patrons. Um, and it's, well, it's launching very soon. And I hope to send it to a lot of people because I'm really excited about, you know, sharing some holiday cheer with everybody in this hell year. <laughs> um, what I'm going to do is make sure that we post in the chat right now a link to your patreon so just in case that uh tickled anyone's fancy there's a link to rangan's uh patreon in the chat now so go check it out we got a timer a countdown timer for eight minutes set that in the the vod too (laughs) i hope i said it right that would take me much longer though you know how confusing it is when they say like 12 a.m on um Hmm. uh the 16th is that like in eight minutes or is that in 24 hours and eight minutes? Yeah. When are, when are we going to figure so, this thing out? Time. I hope, and... I hope I said it right. If not, you're canceled. <laughs> exactly. Mm. <laughs> well, I was definitely joking about having you on in five years. Um, it'll be probably be more like 10. Mm. Oh, all right, no, no, right. no. no. <laughs> Ten months. Ten months. I meant ten months. Yeah, I'm going to be really proud of you guys if the podcast still exists. <laughs> Wait, I thought you said you were an optimist. That's so harsh. <laughs> no, but that was the optimistic tape because I'm going to be proud. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, we will definitely have you on sooner than that because this has been um, a lot of fun, a lot of great information, um, and I look forward to chatting with you again. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you for having me, you guys. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, I'm going to hit the end.